It's just a loose switch. I don't know what's going on there. Let's have a word of prayer and uh, before we get into our study tonight. And not only for the circumstances down there, but there's quite a few people, I'm sure, in the way of this um, as we continue to evacuate. Um, either voluntarily or uh, required va- evacuations that are happening around our state this week. And uh, they're not letting up, I guess. So let's go on prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, for our salvation, for your mighty hand at work in our lives by which we can know you and not just know of you, but have an intimate relationship with you. And uh, Lord, we confess uh, dereliction on our part of really investing in that relationship as we ought. But we pray that our time tonight might be an investment in it and that you might find us walking in your spirit more this week than last and committing our way in holiness, righteousness, and truth uh, similarly. And Lord, we do continue to thank you for this opportunity as well as the Sunday school hour just passed to look in your word, to sing your praises with your people. And Lord, we uh, thank you for it. And we do pray uh, for the circumstances around the state, and including uh, uh, Fraser's residents down there. We pray you might uh, uh, guard and protect lives. And Lord, we uh, commit them to you. And we pray that you might uh, work in a powerful fashion to draw people's attention to your role as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Lord of all creation. And uh, Lord, we do pray that you might certainly intervene through people um, who know you, that we would uh, extend ourselves as you've called us, uh, called upon us to do, not only to intervene for the welfare of others, but to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, the ultimate intervention for our sin problem, which transcends all others. But Lord, in the midst of these circumstances that we encounter, um, we do pray that you might uh, give us opportunity to share the gospel in those settings as well as to show material um, assistance where we can. And Lord, we do pray you might uh, continue to guard life. Lord, we also know that uh, these days that we are deserving of judgment and these are small things uh, in comparison to what we are worthy of in our sin and in our condition of not only our nation but the world. And Lord, we pray that uh, it might be uh, getting their attention. But we also continue to uh, pray for those that we missed tonight and we pray you might encourage them and their walk with you and some that are because of uh, illness or uh, work responsibilities, etc., and some that choose not to be here, and we pray you might work in their lives as well tonight. May bring conviction and uh, challenge them with the need to be among your people and to be under the teaching of your word every opportunity they have, and so much the more as we see your day approaching. Lord, again, we commit this time to you and pray you might work in it mightily. Uh, we know that. Uh, is not only your hand, but our willingness to receive that work. And we pray you might find such willing hearts here tonight. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight we continue our study in First Samuel. And what a uh, challenge it has been 
for what we take for granted many times is just the status quo of how we do what we do in church. Uh, hopefully it wasn't too much of a challenge to the status quo of our home. Hopefully the challenges there in the first aspect of First Samuel, we talked about the government of the home, was not too unexpected that we were prepared for the role of the husband and father, the wife, mother, the children, and what God expects out of us. And certainly there needs to be certainly adjustments to that and reminders of it. But it shouldn't have been a lot that was unexpected there. When we came into the study now of the government of the church, I think that that's not been the case. I think we have seen that perhaps we have wandered and drifted, maybe drifted is a better term, because wandering kind of just implies that we um, didn't know the way. We know the way. We have it before us in God's Word. We just chose to ignore it and drift. And so out of apathy or uh, I don't, maybe out of a little bit of ignorance, but it's uh, ignorance that we have uh, chosen. None of the scriptures I've shown you were hidden or lost and just been recently revealed. They've been there the whole time. <laughs> And so, we're not really looking at anything that we shouldn't have already known. And yet, we find it challenging that there are many aspects of how God would like to run things that are um, opposed by the manner in which we have chosen to exercise church government. And so, while we maintain certain uh, aspects of it, we're also ignoring others, and What that sets up is an environment where we are placated, thinking that God is happy with it, with partial obedience, um, from really striving after excellence of complete obedience. And to me, that is maybe one of the most dangerous places to be. Because we get into this place of apathy, we think, well, that's a settled matter, and God's pleased with how we do things, and we don't need to keep studying and addressing it. And once we get into that condition... Uh, we get into a dangerous territory where we just make assumptions of Scripture that uh, are wrong. And we assume that the work has been adequately done and that we have arrived at this place after 2,000 years of biblical study into a church government that is certainly advanced and well-pleasing to God. And you couldn't be more wrong. Because the fact is, over the history of Israel, we know what happens generation from generation among God's people, that they wander. And they wander so far in their exercise of their government, even though they cycle through times of righteousness and times of doing, trying to do things better. Um, if you go, know anything about the history of Israel through the kingly period, um, we have, of course, uh, Saul and Dave we're going to be dealing with later on in Samuel. But we find that In the later period, you had, well, this is an evil king, and then this was a good king that sought the Lord and tried to break down the high places and serve the Lord and and obey him. But we get all the way down to King Josiah, and you think by now, Israel has figured this out. We have an enormous amount of scripture already penned for us. Most of the prophets' ministries have been largely completed, not all of them, but largely they've been completed by the time we get down to the end of the nation of Judah. And uh, we find a young king that wants to implement reforms, and he does so, says, we got to clean out that temple because it's just a disaster. It's been neglected. And they get in there, and you say, well, how bad could it have been? It was so bad 
No one had a copy of God's Word. And they find the testament, the testimony, the law, in the temple. They pull it out and say, hey, look at this. You think this might give us some clues on how we should be doing things? Now think about this. This is God's people who have been off and on, quote-unquote, worshiping God, and yet they weren't following God's Word. In fact, they weren't even accessing it. And they find this out, and they go, oh, boy, we should be doing this, and let's, we, need to, we need to follow these Scriptures. And they had that quickly lost contact. So the idea that somehow, because we've had 2,000 years of, of church history, that somehow we have perfected this area, is just a wrong thinking. It's upside down. In fact, over time, man always perverts God's Word. He doesn't really perfect God's Word because God's Word started out perfect. So anything we're doing to it is going to pervert it. And so trying to get back to God's Word um, is a challenge. And uh, as sharing with somebody, I feel a lot of times like I'm uh, uh, Don Quixote and his windmills trying to go against something that maybe is... It's, irrecoverable. But if I believe that being biblical is irrecoverable, I would resign as your pastor right now. Um, We can recover it if we choose to place ourselves in a moldable position by God. That we put our hearts before Him and say, mold us and make us into what you would have us to be. And we want to look at our church government that way. We have looked through and we come now to chapter 7 We have seen the failures of leadership and how to handle them and allowing God to do that, what a theocratic government looks like, uh, how it works, and we've explored some of the specifics with regard to leadership last week, that that God should be selecting our pastors, that we should then be promoting deacons to be affirmed by by that pastoral role. Um, that those are two very different kinds of roles and ministries, and we don't want to confuse them, and nor do we want to uh, make them so similar that we neglect the, the differentiation between them that God established. And so we've looked at that. We come now to seeing how it was done. How do we get it to happen and... That's the challenge before us here in chapter 7. Samuel had the same circumstances. How do I get these people back on track? And really, every judge had that situation. But Samuel's was a little bit unique because we have the combination of prophet um, and judge. And we have this transitional character, Samuel, that's going to take us from that into a different kind of leadership. And so Samuel gives us a, a real insight here. How do we go from these judgeships, whether they be the high priests like Eli or other judges that we looked back, back in the book of Judges, we're going to reference one of them tonight um, with Gideon, who sometimes were military leaders and sometimes were uh, other leaders, but uh, sometimes didn't seem to lead at all very well, uh, Samson being one, um, often just to re- deliver Israel from her enemies. Well, Samuel has a very different goal. Certainly there is oppression from the Philistines that he wants to address. But he has something much more than that that he wants to address. He wants to really set them on the right course. And so let's pick up in chapter 7, uh, verse 3. 
Uh, well, let's read the end of verse 2. It needs to be read. It says, So it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jearim a long time. It was there 20 years. So we're not talking about a week, a month, uh, a season. We're talking about a long period of time. And that all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. This is not to be confused with godly sorrow that brings repentance. They are simply crying out now, we're beaten, we're a beaten people, we're, we're under the thumb of the Philistines. And the Ark of the Covenant isn't in its proper place. Um, and all of Israel is, is uh, just lamenting it. And whether this is a word of repentance or a word of blame where is not always clear. Uh, and, and the Hebrew is, is, uh, can lead us both ways. So here comes Samuel. And you would think, if, if verse 2 was Israel wanting to repent, we would have a different uh, response by Samuel. But at least they were mourning. They were, they were sorry uh, that what was happening to them. Whether they understood why it was happening to them, I'm not sure. But they were genuinely re, uh, concerned about it. They were mourning their circumstance. And now Samuel comes onto the scene. And it says, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the ashtoreths from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the ashtoreths and serve the Lord only, and Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I'll pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. We're going to stop right there for a moment. And so we find this condition that uh, they're mourning the circumstances, uh, perhaps more mourning the fact that the Philistines are ruling over them, they're not thrilled with that and, and, the, and, the, and the oppression that's there. Uh, they are still, though, have ashtoreths and they still have balls around the land. And so that would indicate that they haven't really turned to the Lord. Uh, they're sorry for their circumstance, but they don't really recognize its origin, why it's like that, and how to get out of it. And here comes the, the servant of God. He comes upon the scene and his first statement is, well, it's up to you. This is not God's problem. This is your problem. God hasn't changed. His word is true. His word is faithful. Um, this is a problem of Israel's. This is our problem. Um, it's not how did we get here, God? You know, what, how, why would you let these guys rule over us? How could you let us get into this place and position? Well, how, what made you get there? And all the while you're lamenting before the Lord, you're also going and serving Baal. And it never clicked. And by the way, um, it doesn't click in our churches today. Because we don't think about the fact that we're really throughout the week serving a different God than the one we claim to serve on Sunday. And so Samuel comes on. He says, well, there's a condition here. And the condition that changes the conditional clause, the if clause, um, is one of your choice. If you return to the Lord with all your hearts. 
Um, and put away your thing. You're going to have to make that choice. You have to return to the Lord with all your heart. You're going to have to put away uh, all these foreign gods uh, from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve Him only. So we have this four-sided presentation. You're going to, if, if it's true, you want to return to the Lord. If this morning is genuine and you really want things right, righted, you're going to have to first reject those false gods. You're going to have to just flat out reject them. You have to destroy them, take them down, remove them from the midst of Israel. Then you're going to have to prepare your heart. That's a great phrase. You have to prepare your heart to receive the Lord. And the evidence from Samuel's sermon here is that their hearts really weren't ready to accept God. And if we're going to really try to formulate ourselves and, and conform ourselves to Christ and to God's standards, whether it be for our individual lives or for our church body, um, it starts there. We're going to have to be able to recognize the false gods that are in our life and that are even in our church life. That we have elevated so high because our culture elevates them because our, surround, our neighbors elevate them, and that we don't even think of them while we're mourning before the Lord. Oh, I've got to get that out of my life. Didn't dawn on me. And once we extract those, now we can begin to prepare our hearts for being and becoming what God wants us to be and become. What does God want me to be? How does He want me to live? What does he want our church to be like? And those are hard things, and you can't really fathom them until you have extracted the foreign gods from our thinking. And I have found that oftentimes we are resistant to that, just as resistant as Israel is to identifying their foreign gods. So resistant that you guys are probably fed up with me naming them off for you, aren't you? I know the teenagers are. Your entertainment is your God. I don't care if you want to say I've got it under control. Everybody who is worshiping that God thinks they have it under control. I could stop this any time. Does that sound familiar? Aren't we trained in that? that that's, isn't that what alcoholics say? I could stop drinking this any time. Well, how about sometime? How about this time? How about right now? Let's just put it away for a month, 40 days. If you put away 40 days, then let's say, why are you having it at all in your life? This level of entertainment that drives our living. I live to entertain myself. I work so that I can have money to go on vacations. And, and I'm not anti-enjoyment. You guys know that. I, I think this creation is for us to be enjoyed. But it's enjoyed from God's perspective and not from the world's perspective. And media is not giving you God's perspective on anything. Would you agree with me on that? That the entertainment world, whether it be your movies, your video games, whatever is not leading you to God's perspective on anything. These are the balls of our day. Now, if you were talking in the 80s, the balls of those days would have been the almighty dollar and probably some entertainment. But um, I find it fascinating that churches recognize these balls and bring them into their church. And so, 
on at least one Sunday a year. We have to have the high day of the great ball called NFL coming to our churches. Right? We just have to succumb to that. Because, you know, it's silly to think that people can leave the Super Bowl to come to church. Really? I haven't watched a football game on TV since the government took away my TV. And I'm okay. I am survived. I went through withdrawal for a little period of time where I had to check the stats very carefully. Now that whole page in the newspaper, I don't even look at. In fact, I hardly ever check the sports section at all now, uh, except for the high school stuff because I want to see if any high school kids that I know are doing anything. Um, it's dramatic, and if you guys that have been around for 15 years in this church know that that's a big difference for me, because I could have given you stats and people and sports teams, and you know I would have told you the purple and yellow is what we're going to be wearing in heaven, um, right? Isn't it? Think about that. Royal and gold, yeah, purple. Anyway, <clears throat> but that's a whole different lifestyle time ago. I've survived. But we have these Baals in our life. And we, we have set them up so powerfully that even preaching against them is not sufficient. And so if we can't get past that, we'll never get to the point of preparing our hearts to say, I'm going to do things God's way. And at this point, doing things God's way is starting to look really radical. And it is. Because we have bought a philosophy from the world and brought it wholesale into the church. Prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve Him only. And so we, we start off, if, if this is true, you're going to get rid of the foreign gods. You're going to prepare your heart for what the Lord has. And that's, then we're ready to really discover what God has. If we're hanging on to the balls, I don't think you can do step two very well. You're going to resist step two of preparing your heart for the Lord, and how do we serve Him alone? How do we serve Him as a church body alone? How do we use the Bible as our guidebook, and only that as our authority from God, of how we ought to be doing church? Not the Westminster Catechism, not um, books men have written over the government of the church, uh, what is that the, the one in the GRBC that they always made us do? The Doctrine and Administration of the Local Church. Do you have to study that at faith? Oh, yeah. It's like a standard handbook for GRBC pastors, the Doctrine and Administration of the Local Church. And uh, that's not our standard. It ought to be God's Word. And we put these others in their place. And we prepare our hearts for the Lord and we serve Him only to come in. But as long as we hang on to these balls in our life, these foreign gods, that th this is just the American way. This is, this, is, this is what we call justice in this land. This is what we call good government in this land. As long as you cling to that, that false god of Americanism, if you will, then you're not going to be able to prepare your heart for the Lord and serve Him alone. You'll always serve that philosophy that you've embraced. And until you release it, there's really can't go much farther. So Israel does that. 
It says that they released themselves from the balls. They broke them down, got them out, took down the asterisk poles, uh, removed them, and uh, came. And, and they're going to gather together with Samuel. And they're going to pray to the Lord. Samuel's going to pray. They're not quite in the condition yet to pray. They've just done step one. Samuel says, I'm going to pray to the Lord for you. So they gather Mizpah. Uh, they drew water, poured out for the Lord. They're offering a sacrifice and they're fasting. And they finally come to the confession. Now they're ready. We have sinned. And this is a statement we don't say anymore. This is not a statement we corporately say anymore. We're willing sometimes, maybe, to say it personally, in private, to God. But I don't find bodies of saints studying God's Word to come to it and look at it and go, we have sinned in this area. A pastor might preach it and declare it to be sin, but until we as a body determine and come to the Lord and go, we have sinned against the Lord. We have. I've got to tell you that in my years as a believer from the age of 10, so 41 years of of being a believer, I have never experienced any church that I've ever been, I've been in a lot of them, a corporate confession, we have sinned against the Lord in this matter. Have any of you? We have sinned in this manner. It's just not done. Do you think our churches are that good? Are we doing it that well? We don't ever have to sit down and say, we have sinned in this manner. We have sinned against the Lord. We've been you know, studying 1 Corinthians. There are some times I had to just say, we've been doing it wrong. And uh, even then, we are reticent to say we have sinned. Whether it's women's head coverings, uh, doing communion, uh, we're getting into our giving. Uh, and we always say, well, we've been a little mistaken. We've been misguided. We've been... Uh, negligent. We use all these terms to avoid the real term that we ought to be using, and that is we have sinned against the Lord. If God wants it done that way, and we're doing it this way, guess what? We have sinned against the Lord. And so when we deal with these issues, whether it be church government, church practices, uh, worship practices, all these things, this is not just a preferential thing. God looks at these things very seriously, and yes, there is corporate sin. That sometimes needs to be expressed corporately. We have sinned against the Lord. Because we have not been following God's Word. We haven't broken out God's Word and really... uh, Thought to apply it consistently uh, without the, instead of, uh, instead of looking at the world through the lens of the scriptures, we look at the scriptures through the lens of the world. Let's be real honest. That's what we do. 
We have our fundamental philosophy of how things ought to be done, particularly in the area of government, and we look at the Scriptures through that lens. We do not look at how things ought to be done through the lens of Scripture, which is what we ought to be doing. Rather, we interpret Scripture through how we think things just should be done. And so, they fasted. They said, we sinned against the Lord, and now they're on track and God's promise comes upon them. God blesses them. He blesses them with rising, raising their enemy up against them. <laughs> prepare yourself for the Lord. His promise is that if you turn, prepare for us, then He'll deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. And, um, and He's going to do that in a very magnificent manner. But... Uh, Here's where we have a little phrase tucked in here that we need to address. And it says, Samuel, there in Mizpah, Samuel judged the children of Israel. And this is a very, uh, we might say, well, what does that mean? Is this the judge like someone in a court of law that is intermeeting between the law and a, an offender? Um, could be. Is this a judge like a ruler? Uh, like we saw in the book of Judges, could be. In fact, all of those words are the same Hebrew word. Now, there is a, a, a word for ruler or reigning, which would be more of a kingly one. It's a different word. But this word used here, sepat, uh, in Hebrew, is valid for he ruled. He, he, he had authority over them, but also that he intermediated for them. That he did both. Simultaneously. When we look at the judges, some of them were deliverers. And yes, there's another Hebrew word for to deliver. But in this word, we have all of those kind of combined. And it has a very broad understanding. And so, the Bible uses this in the pre-monarchial period. Um, the word for reigning or ruling, Gideon used. He says, uh, let, let's look at that. Uh, let's look at Gideon back in the book of Judges, because he uses that word. Um, I didn't have that written down, that reference. Let me grab it real quick here. In chapter 8, I believe. Yeah, chapter 8, verse 22. Um, the, the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. That's mesal. That's a different Hebrew word than judge over us. They wanted to make him king. You and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of the Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. We're going to come back to that verse weeks and weeks and weeks from now. After Pastor Silcott's done with his series, after this part on government of the church. Um, but that's what we're looking at. This is a word rule, as in king. And so this word judge, and we translate judge, is a different word, and it has not only military use, um, judicial use, but it also has this uh, use of, of authority that he has in the executive branch. He's an execute judgment uh, of the Lord upon them. And so Samuel judges them. mediating between their sin and God's standard and draws them to it. And this is something he's going to do ongoing 
he's going to be their sepat. Sepat or sepat. I don't know which one it is. I think it's the pat. He's going to be their sepat. And he's going to sepat them. Um, throughout this period of time. The rest of his life till he's old. And so there they are. They have reestablished the way things should be. They took down the asterisk. They gathered together with their hearts open to the Lord, prepared for the Lord. They did that through fasting and pouring out this water sacrifice. So that's not much of a sacrifice. It was a deep well. But even then, they poured this out before the Lord. And I think we in the desert understand the value of, of water sometimes in those places. And so they pour this out before the Lord. They're going to fast. They're going to prepare their hearts to, to hear the word of the Lord, His instructions, and His work. And in that condition, they confess their sinfulness as a body. We as a nation have sinned against God. And now, even though we've had Samuel having the word of the Lord since he was a kid, now finally he is judging Israel. Finally, Israel has come out of the error that was introduced by Eli's sons and now things are the way they should be. The prophet of God is judging, not reigning as king. He's judging. He's ruling, but it's a different kind of rule than a kingly rule. Um, And so he's the judge, and he's bringing the word of the Lord, and the people are responding to that. They're serving the Lord only. They're in the... they, they They have reconnected to what they were supposed to have been before Eli's sons made them hate the sacrifices. And in that setting, under that government, then here comes God's hand. And God's hand starts by stirring up the Philistines. <laughs> it says, When the Philistines heard the children of Israel gathered together in Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the children of Israel heard of it, <clears throat> They were like, cool, now we can beat them up, get them out of here, right? They were afraid. They were afraid. So, they took the deep breath, leapt from their sin into Christ's design. So they left off following after the nation's ways. They went after the Lord alone, We have the prophet of God who is ruling as he should be, um, responsible to God and responsible for the people. They're responsive to that process and that government. And now here comes the Philistines because all of Israel is gathered up there at Mizpah. They must be up to no good. So let's go scatter them out. And Israel's afraid. Why are they afraid? They've just followed the Lord. They shouldn't be afraid. But yet the reality is, is one of the reasons we don't want to take this, these steps is because of fear. We are sure that it's going to be too hard a life to live. We are sure that that kind of church government will never work. I mean, I had pastors tell me, point blank, um, that you'll never get a quorum at your business meetings. 
They said, oh, it's idealistic. Your, your, your constitution is idealistic. Because you'll never get 50% of your voting members always have to be there, 50% plus to have a business meeting. You'll never have a business meeting. We've never not had a business meeting. We've never not met the quorum. Even in July, and some of you on vacations, we've never. But that was the attitude. We're afraid. And I've had pastor after pastor after pastor tell me, you can't possibly expect a unanimous decision every time. You're letting one person rule the church. Whoever that person is that wants to say no all the time. I'm like, you may think that. You see, we have a fundamental fear of doing things God's way. That we, if we break off from doing it the way we're, we've been trained to do it by our culture that has been inundated by the balls of the nations, that uh, it's not going to work. We've been trained that way in our giving, in our budgeting, and in churches, and our, and our whole philosophy of ministry has been driven by this kind of fear of the Philistines. Um, essentially, we're sure that we'll fail because we think we know better than God. And God, by the way, is an idealist. He has an ideal. And it's our mission to find it and implement it here. And I would contend that only then will you really have the hand of God's blessing. And how does God's hand of blessing look like? It looks like a bunch of Philistines armed for battle. That's what God's blessing looks like. <laughs> Coming up over the hill. Oh, man, I, I knew, I told you, Pastor, that if we did this, this was going to happen. Couldn't you just imagine some of those Israelites saying that? I knew this would happen, Samuel. They're afraid. They're going to think they're going to get slaughtered. They're not there with weapons. They're not there for battle. They're not there for military training. They're fasting. They're weeping before the Lord. They're pouring the water on the ground. They're confessing sin, and they're there uh, being judged and, and taught by Samuel. They have, there's, there's no military action intended by what they've done. And here come the Philistines, and the slaughter is, is, I mean, you just look at it and you say, of course there's going to be a slaughter. And from a human perspective, when you do things God's way and you genuinely trust Him, uh, the world will always say, oh, you asked for it, man. You brought this upon yourself. Because they don't know who you're serving. Who you're following. And I find regularly that Christians are frightened, too frightened to obey. Because they're afraid of the outcome, they won't engage in the process Even though they're willing to recognize the balls are there, they're too afraid to leave them. Because they're sure that that's where there's comfort. That's where there's safety. And why can't we just do it the way we've been doing it? Here come the Philistines. They were afraid, but they had set things right. And just to show how their heart was prepared... They didn't run, but they did cry out to Samuel, their judge. And here's what they said. 
Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel, we're not looking around for clubs and sticks and spears and swords and, and things like that, frying pans, to attack the Philistines, to defend ourselves against the Philistines. We're here. We're made things right. Pray the Lord for us that He delivers us. Because we have no hope. We have no answers. We have no response. We have no defense here. When you're in that kind of a condition, in any aspect of your life, now you're ready to understand what it means to live by faith. And so Samuel's going to do his job. He offered a burnt offering to the Lord, cried out to the Lord for Israel, and what do you know? The Lord answered him. And while he's offering the burnt offering... And the Philistines are drawing near to the battle, it says in verse 10. The Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines. <laughs> Got to turn the page. That day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel, remember, they weren't gathered there for a battle. They weren't armed for battle. But the audio of God's so drove the Philistines into the state of confusion that they were easily taken out by a body of people that were not gathered as an army nor trained as an army. And they were on the run, just like that. They went out of Mizpah, they pursued the Philistines, drove them back as far as below Bethkar. Samuel took a stone, set it between Mizpah and Shin, and said, Thus far the Lord has helped us, Ebenezer. We have a song about Ebenezer. No, not Ebenezer Scrooge. Here I put my Ebenezer. This is where it comes from. Let's sing that song. Come thou fount. Here I place my Ebenezer. The Lord has helped me this far. As a testimony that you can really do things God's way, you can really have a government where you have this guy that's a man of God, not a military genius, this man of God who is going to pray and offer a sacrifice, and the result is going to be you're going to defeat your greatest enemy and have a tremendous victory over them, drive them all the way out of your land, you're going to recoup all the cities that they took from you. And you're going to be at peace not only with them, but with all the Amorites. And you're going to have this circumstance for the rest of this man's life. And it says, from then on, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year, and we're going to talk about his circuit ministry next week. Um, and this is what happens. If we're willing to take that hard step... Of saying, you know, we need to question every philosophy that the world clings to and look at it through the lens of God's Word and determine if it is really right for the church. And by being right for the church is not whether it works or has worked in the past. And that I get really tired of that. Well, God has blessed this in the past with these other... There are many times in the history of Israel that they were wealthy and from all external appearances looked blessed. But God says, I've raised up one prophet that's preached what? 
God's angry with you and He's on the verge of His wrath on you. While they were living in paneled houses and everything seemingly going glowingly and no enemies raised up against them in that condition of quote-unquote blessing, they were offending God. And so here, Israel is going to follow God's way. And it didn't make much sense from a human perspective. And it's a little scary thing to do. But the blessings are overwhelming. And this is what we need to believe about God. We sang a song this morning, The Lord is Good. Say it wherever you go. The Lord is good. If we really believe that, then we need to do in our church what you need to do in your individual lives, but as a church body, we need to recognize the Lord's good. And, and if He wants it done a certain way, well, His ways are best. Let's just do it. And you know what? The fact that we haven't been doing that way is sin. Let's confess it as that. And press on. Or rebel against it. It's your choice. But to establish our homes, to establish our church uh, and the church universal in a biblical manner is going to take this kind of returning to the Lord and looking at everything and examining everything under the lens of God's Word and then being willing to change no matter how frightening that kind of change is to us. Oh, I've never done it like that. That's scary. Well, can you trust the Lord or not? Is He good or not? We sing it, do we mean it? Do we believe it enough to live as though the Lord is good? That the Lord is powerful enough to do what He said He would do. He would care for us. So we find Israel setting it right. After Eli's sons really led them into error, 20 years it took, and they set it right. Does anyone know what today is? This is the anniversary of our church today. Anyone know what number? What year is it? It's 2013. What year did we start? Who was here for the first service? Just my family of the people here. The Archuletas were here the first service. I think Mrs. Fry was here the first service. Yep, they were here the first service. We can do things 16 years long and still change to set things right. You really can. You can't adjust. That's what Israel did. It took 20 years for them to say, you know, we've just taken it for granted from our forefathers. But we're going to 
get rid of that stuff. We're going to turn to the Lord. We're going to prepare our hearts. We're going to do it His way. And Samuel, you judge us. We'll follow you as you follow the Lord. And God took care of them. And I still believe that that's true today. But it takes an incredible humility to say as a church, well, we've done it wrong. We've done it wrong. That's sin. We want to do it right. And that is godliness as a body. And that's been our discovery really through 1 Corinthians and hopefully the spirit of our church as we've been studying 1 and 2 Corinthians is uh, we want to make sure we do it right. Not American. We want to do it Christian. You know, and I guess my trip to Haiti really showed me that because um, I was like, you know, that's Haitian. That's not Christian. And my trip to India. Well, that's Indian. That's not Christian. And their trip here, that's American. That's not Christian. Pastor Reddy tells me that. And he's right. And as right as I was about what they were doing, they're just as right about what we're doing. And so we want to conform ourselves to God's Word, and that requires this kind of a heart to do so. And yes, I understand it's scary, and it's probably scarier to no one more than me to say, well, can we really do it biblically? Can we go back and correct it that well, that far? And Israel did. And they were 20 years following the balls. It's the if clause is, is in your court. If you return to the Lord, do it His way. Set up His man as the judge. If we return to the Lord, He'll deliver us. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank You for Your love for us. We study tonight the, the example of Samuel. And, uh, Lord, we have asked You to show us where we have failed, where we have sinned. And Your Word declares it clearly. And we pray that we might be attentive to it in very practical areas and in sometimes very philosophical areas. And yet they are shown out in our attitudes, in our speech, in our, in our uh, government. And Lord, our prayer is that uh, You might continue to work in us, that we might be of the right spirit, be willing to confess where we have wandered from Your Word because of the influence of the nations around us. And we pray your help in that. And know that you offer it freely to all who desire of it. Lord, not that we are more worthy than anyone else. We simply ask that you find us willing to surrender all of our presuppositions and all of our assumptions before you as the error of mankind. That we might be taught by your word complete. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.